Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 579. You only live once. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Peter Framson. Peter, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Not only am I buckled up, I am double harnessed in. All right, cool. Well, hopefully you won't need that. I'll try to keep it between the lines, but we'll have a little bit of fun today. Peter Frampson is the CEO of Go. He's a 30-year real estate veteran with an extensive background in retail, anchor leasing, development, and commercial brokerage, and he's also an avid automotive enthusiast. His new company, Go, is comprised of high-octane crew that are creating a new space and marketplace that will disrupt and transform today's automotive enthusiast retail and brand experience. The plan is to change how the world connects and interacts with automotive products and services. Think Apple Store for the automotive enthusiast, maximizing hundreds of digital touch points through a fidgetal, I like that, retail environment. Go is the intersection of all things automotive. Peter, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment, share a little bit more about your career, this new business, and of course, your passion for automobiles? Sure, and thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me today. Um, this is exciting for me, as, uh, as I hope it will be for you and your listeners over time as we're rolling out our new concept, Go. Absolutely. By way of background and how, how Go comes to be is that, as, you've, as you noted and, and did it nicely, I've, there are people that probably would say less nice things about my 30-year career in retail real estate, but uh, <laughs> we'll, stay on the, we'll stay on the high side. Uh, 30 years in retail real estate, really doing a lot of, as you've described, retail development, brokerage, and a lot of tenant rep work. And what that really means or meant to me was it gave me the inside track in watching some of the big box retailers evolve uh, through the late 80s, 90s, and into the early aughts. So I rolled out Home Depot in the Washington, Maryland, Virginia area and did the same with Best Buy and a number of other chains. And what I got from that was 
understanding store positioning, physical positioning, understanding demographics and learning where and why stores need to be in one location versus another, and then how the stores were laid out and what the reasoning was for every every corner of the store. So why are the cash registers in the front right corner? Why is the receiving in the rear left corner? Things that most people don't think about day to day are the daily bread and, and, uh, and meat, if you will, of the retail industry. So retail, it turns out, is truly the lifeblood of consumerism, whether it's in the United States or anywhere else in the world. And regardless of whether you're going to a traditional grocery store, a Safeway or a Publix if you're in Florida, Vons in California, or you're living somewhere in, in a remote location of Italy, you have to go to the store. You have to go to the butcher shop or you have to go to the veg- uh, vegetable stand, whatever it is. Retail is something that never goes away. And you can almost make a logical parallel argument that transportation is the same thing, that transportation is not going away. Whether you own a car or you take a bus or a train or an airplane or a, a, you know, a rickshaw, transportation, how you get from point A to point B is never going away. So from my perspective, as I rolled through the early aughts and into 05, 06, 07, I started to realize the only category that was not well represented in retail, domestically or internationally, was the auto industry. And as I started to dig in, we started to realize, quickly realize, that there was an opportunity. Thus, Go was spawned, and, and it's been years in the making, with a whole lot of funny stuff that goes on around it, but we'll get to that in a minute. So as noted, the real estate is retail real estate is where I come from. Automotive is where I love to live. And being able to merge those two things is how Go has come to be. Very cool. I like that. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life or maybe a mantra for Go. It's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah. So, Peter, take the wheel. I've got three for you today. And wow. I'll stick and yeah, well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm one of those deep thinking kind of guys, you know, so <laughs> Good. I'm going to give you three. The first one, you only live once. And what we're going to spend the next 30 minutes talking about, which is go, is sort of the you only live once. I believed in an idea and I started to work through an idea. And as much as it's hard to do something new when you've been doing something as long as I've been doing real estate, you only live once. I don't know that I'm ever going to get a second chance to do something cool and interesting and as unique as go. So my my true mantra is you're only here one time. You live once. So let's go. Mm -hmm. Second, I'm going to give you the paraphrasing, but Kierkegaard, so I sound brilliant for a moment. Kierkegaard (laughs) uh, once said, life is lived looking forward but it's understood looking backwards. Mm. Absolutely true. Everything we do is moving ahead, theoretically. And yet our life experiences and the perceptions we have and our life experiences and our ability to understand why we're doing the next thing is likely rooted in what we've either heard, seen, or done in the past. Yes. So that one's a hard one to shake away, if you will, especially if you got to have any logical brain cells in your head that realize that you don't need to be burned on the same oven twice. You should have learned the first time. Yes. And then the third one, and truly this is my, my day-to-day mantra, is perception is reality. How you're perceived in the world, whether it's in your personal life or in your professional life, is reality. If people believe in you, regardless of whether they should or not, that is reality. There is confidence in you. And in the case of our business, in the, in the go business, if people believe or perceive that what's going on inside our four walls or in our digital space is 
good for them or, or interesting to them or important to them or engaging, entertaining to them, whether that's true or not to somebody else, their personal perception is in fact their reality. And that's mainly how most people should be living their lives arguably anyway, is that how they perceive the world is how they address it from a realistic standpoint. So if I had to go through all those three and had to only circle one or highlight one, perception is reality. Very nice. We got a triple play there, Karsh. Yeah, listeners, three for one. I like that. They're all great quotes and very inspirational as well. I, I particularly like the one about moving forward, looking back. There's a great quote by Ayrton Senna, and my listeners have heard this before. I'm only looking into the future. The past is just data, mainly saying he's always heading down the road, but that data is very important so that you can continue on the right path. So uh, those are great quotes. I love them. Thanks for sharing those. Let's go back in time and talk about a time that instigated your passion for cars. You worked in real estate for many, many years, but you said you live in the car space. So is there a pivotal moment back in your life when you really knew that you were a car guy? Yeah. Um, and it's funny, if we were doing TV and, and I've got that, I've got the perfect, uh, the perfect TV face for radio. Um, <laughs> Me so too. <laughs> if we were on TV or we were running video, I, I brought up a couple of props uh, just in case. And and one is a box of my Hot Wheel cars. And I started playing with Hot Wheels as a six or seven year old back in 66, 67, I guess, is when they started bringing out Hot Wheels. And at about the same time, my parents for Christmas back in probably 67, 68, bought me a an Aurora HO racing car set. Oh, yeah. And 50 years later, I still have all my Hot Wheels. And I still have all my Aurora HO cars, including my original Transformers and my Go buttons and everything else that goes with it. And everything still works. <laughs> Very cool. I know in our pre-show chat, we were talking a little bit. Uh, I've still got all my Hot Wheels cars as well, including the very first one my dad ever bought me, a red Jaguar XKE. So, uh, yeah, we're all kids at heart here at Cars. Yeah, I've heard this from many, many of my guests. So, Peter, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down, crawl under the hood, get our hands a little dirty, and ask you to share a huge challenge, or even better, a great failure that you faced along the way. But, of course, the most important part of this is how did you overcome it, and what did it teach you? So take us to that painful moment in time and walk us through the steps. It's a little interesting, but you know, most of your listeners are, are going to have some sense of this, whether it's through their own experience or through a, a friend or a, a family or loved one. I was diagnosed in 05 with a really rare cancer, Ooh. and I spent about a year between radiation, chemotherapy, major surgery. I basically missed a year of my life. Not because I w it was so debilitating that I couldn't walk or I couldn't talk or I couldn't this or that, but it's an all-consuming thing when you become ill. And when you have what I had, it becomes your number one priority. You certainly still have to make your mortgage and you still have to work and you still have, a, in my case, I still had a family, wife, kids, et cetera. But the most important thing in that short period of time is you've got to deal with your physical issues because without your health, you got nothing. Right. So I unfortunately had the opportunity to experience firsthand um, what cancer means and what all those other things related, radiation, chemo, et cetera, et cetera, are. Mm -hmm. And I came through there with two things, one a failure, if you will, and the other, a, I guess, on a personal level, a great victory. Mm -hmm. The great victory, let's start with that. The great victory is, and, and some of your listeners may understand what I'm about to say, when you get sick, and if you get something like this, it wasn't terminal, I'm still here 11 years later, but when you get sick, you quickly find out what kind of a person you are. Hmm. In other words, 
if you don't get cards and letters or flowers from friends and relatives, that's a problem. In my case, I spent weeks in and out of hospitals. And if you don't have visitors and fruits, fruit trays and meals showing up or you know, people coming and going at, at some level, however you wish to deal with that, that's a problem. And if you're during recovery, you're not having people there to, what can I do? Can I drive you? Can I help you? What can I do for you? What, you know, you, you know, you've always been there for me. Can, what can I do for you? If you don't have that, that's a problem. So if you get to a place as I was where you almost, it's almost like living through your own funeral in that it's a referendum on your life. Mm -hmm. And in my case, it happened to have been a great success, if you will, because I quickly realized as a, as a person I must be an okay guy because I had a lot of professional uh, friends that, that were there for me to help kind of help cover my business as I was going. Uh, I had a lot of professional friends from around the country and around the world that were, whether they flew in or they were sending gifts, cards, letters, blah, 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 blah. That was great. My friends and my family were always there. I, I never had to question any of that. And so I, it's a referendum on your life depending on how it comes out. In my case, I was very fortunate that the referendum was a double thumbs up, that uh, I came through the other side feeling good about where, who and what I was. And whereas some people walk away from one of these things and they've gained a new perspective, uh, talk about uh, Kierkegaard, a new perspective on life, my perspective didn't have to change on life because I was comfortable in my own skin and clearly others around me thought well of me or well enough of me that they were there for me, my family, et cetera, et cetera. So that was a great challenge and yet a, a big victory. That was a good one. The flip side of that was that in the same time frame that I became ill within a year, a very close friend and business partner with whom I was doing a lot of my business died in a helicopter crash. Oh no. When he died, I learned a quick lesson. Don't put too many of your eggs in one basket. He was a friend. That hurts. He was a business partner. That hurt. He was a financial backer to some of the other businesses that we were actively involved in. That hurt. Our kids were friends. We had done things together. So if you have too many eggs in one basket and something happens to that basket, it's a, it's a problem. So was it a failure? In the end, I guess not. You know, I've recovered from it, if you will. But it was one of those things, whether you, whether you want to say, you know, you know, hedge your bets or spread your risk around or whatever, whatever term of art you choose to use. My advice to my own friends, my own kids, family is make sure you don't put everything in, all in one place. Don't put it all. If you're, if you're going to the crap table, don't put it all on one number. Or if you're going to the roulette table, don't put it all on red or black. Yeah, absolutely. Well, th thank you for sharing really personal stories, first and foremost. I'm so happy that you are a cancer survivor. I've got cancer survivors in my family and some that didn't survive cancer. A tragic, very tough thing to get through and then losing a friend, a business partner, a colleague, uh, even more so. But uh, that's why I ask these questions because it helps other people learn and garner some things if they're going through the same challenges of how to get through those. And your advice is very well heard. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. It's a time when those headlights come on and illuminate your way for a new idea. And tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into a success. This is one of those stories where, you know, somebody rolls their eyes and goes, oh, come on, that can't be true. I was a kid. I grew up in Connecticut and I grew up middle class family, but, you know, no, no complaints. We, you know, I wasn't having to wear the same shoes for five years in a row and they stitched them onto me and I didn't have to walk up a hill to school and walk up the same hill home and no, <laughs> yeah. no, no horror stories, you know, none of these silly uh, old Milton Berle jokes or something. But I was on a bus 
uh, I was on a school bus. It was about 13, 14, 15 years old, on a school bus on my way to a, on a, a trip, uh, you know, a day trip. And we drove by a shopping center that I, I sort of was aware of its existence, but hadn't really paid any attention to it. And when I came home that night, I said, hey, you know, to my parents, hey, there's a Vicks hobby shop in that shopping center, which sort of speaking back about my Aurora HO cars, I realize now that Vicks hobby shop is where, you know, what most of my Aurora HO cars had come from. And I brought it up to my parents and said, hey, we drove by that shopping center, blah, 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 where Vicks Hobby Shop is. And my father said, oh, that shopping center is owned by his great uncle, who was then an 85, 90-year-old man. And I said, uncle, his name was Uncle Ben. I said, Uncle Ben owns a shopping center? And all of a sudden, the dominoes fell into place for me. Uncle Ben drove a Cadillac, always drove a Cadillac. Uncle Ben had a big house. Uncle Ben was always traveling with, with his wife, Aunt Jeanette. They had clearly had figured it out. And at that moment, the aha moment for me was, wait a minute, retail real estate, owning a shopping center? That must be a good thing. <laughs> yes, Uncle Ben had it all figured out. And so I then you know, went through, through the rest of high school, college, law school, um, with, a, with a bent uh, or a slant toward retail real estate or toward real estate and then got into retail. Yeah. And as you noted earlier, spent another 30 years there. But I can actually, I can't remember where we were going on that school trip, but I was on the, I was on the happy bus, the yellow bus with a bunch of my friends and that there was the, the first of the aha moment. Absolutely. I like that. Well, let's talk a little bit about proudest career moments. I'm sure you've had many, but is there one in particular that stands out for you? Probably my most prideful or um, most joyous professional moment, is, it's ongoing actually, I'm a, I'm a lucky guy. My son Kyle, who's uh, 26, 20, I guess he's now 27 years old, my son came into the retail real estate business. He doesn't live in, in my area, he lives out west, but he came into the retail real estate business as a 21-year-old. And within three months, six months of that, he was working for a firm and I knew the people that owned it. So I was, you know, obviously as a dad, I'm, I'm you know, there to help my, my kids. Yeah. And I helped him get that first job. But that first job, I can maybe be able to help you get there much like anybody's parent can help them with the, you know, with their math lesson. But eventually you have to do the math on your own and you've got to succeed on your own. And for me, the most joyous moment professionally is I get phone calls from friends from all over the country, professional friends who say, we were just in uh, uh, your son's offices and he is awesome. He is terrific. He is smart. He's friendly. He's well-grounded. He's thoughtful. Man, he is really good. Congratulations. You did a great job with your, <laughs> with your son. And I'm not sure it gets any better than that. It doesn't matter how much money I've made or how many things I've built or how many you know, stores I've identified for somebody. The fact that, some, that people will go out of their way to call and say, we were just with your son and he has really got it going on. Congratulations. But there it is. One of my kids who's kind of following in my footsteps is doing as well as he is. Oh, yeah. I'm the father of two uh, wonderful adults that are my children and when you hear people uh, speak about your kids that way, yeah, it really makes your heart shine, that's for sure. Well, let's go back in time and have a little bit of fun. I'd love for you to share your first really special car and perhaps a memory you have about or with that vehicle. <laughs> Let me start with my first car that I had for my, that was my own my, was my grandfather's 1968 Dodge Coronet with a 318 Posi rear. All so right. a small Small block eight with a posi rear, four door with a vinyl roof, I might add. There you go. <laughs> with an AM radio. And my grandfather sold it to me for $800. He didn't want any money, but he said, you know what? You should actually have to earn your car. 
So I, you know, I saved up and, and paid him the $800 for the car. And a couple of my friends came over the first weekend that we, that I had the car. And back in those days, all cars had AM radio. You had to be, you had to be something special to have, uh, you know, a, a, an FM radio in your car. So <laughs> we decided to buy an FM converter, which we would then put on in the, in the uh, glove compartment and wired it to whatever it wired through, whatever AM signal you had to get to. I forget what it was. And I bought two Jensen 40 ounce coaxial speakers. Why I remember that, I cannot tell you. <laughs> I had this brilliant idea that we would put this FM converter, FM stereo converter, and we put it in the car. That were and and we and it worked. We turned it on, and it came out of the you know the single mono uh, speaker in in the front. Uh, uh, in the front dashboard. Right. We said, okay, great. And then we had the wiring instructions to put in the speakers. So we ran the wire um, under the dashboard to the driver's side door, and we ran the wiring to the other side, to the passenger side door. And we took the, we took the roll-up window cranks off, and we took off the panels, and, we, and there were holes, if you, were, if you know what that looks like inside, Oh, yeah. sheet metal. So we got into the sheet metal and we did the appropriate drilling and we did everything we needed to do. And we mounted the speakers and we put this and then we put the we put them in. We then cut the holes in the uh, finishes and the vinyl uh, door trim and put those back on and turned on the stereo. And it was amazing. It sounded amazing. We had AM, FM radio stereo in my 1968 Dodge. <laughs> so a bunch of no, it gets, but this is great. We're so happy. We go, we leave. We are going to go see friends. And I lived, as I noted earlier, I lived in Connecticut and I lived for anybody that knows the area. I lived on the Merritt, off the Merritt Parkway, which meant that every 20 minutes on the Merritt Parkway that you went, you went two or three exits and there was a toll, two or three exits, there was a toll. So we got on the Merritt Parkway and we we're going to go see friends two towns over and we had to go to the toll booth. We rolled up on the toll booth and I went to open my window to throw in the dime. That's how long ago it was. Mm -hmm. The window crank only went down a quarter of the way. We screwed up and put the speakers right in the way of the clear space needed for the for the hand cranks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing because I've been through the same thing as a kid with helping a friend put speakers in his car. The whole time I was going, I know exactly where this story is going and all the pain just came back. Uh, it cost me more money to have to buy two new door panels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and reset those speakers, then I think I actually paid my grandfather for the car. Yeah, you uh, you learn those lessons the hard way, that's for sure. <laughs> that's a funny one. Yeah. How about seller's remorse? Is there a car that you've let go that you really wish you had back in your garage? And I'll preface this by saying, don't bring money into the issue because we all know what the car market is doing now. This is about emotion. You know, that's a that's a great question. Probably, I mean, interestingly enough, I've owned a, I've owned a lot of cars, a lot through my through my life, and I've got a pretty good little uh, stable today. I think the car that I would most like to have back again, and in fact, I'm in the market for one now, is a 1983 Datsun 280ZX with T-tops. Oh, okay, yeah. And I loved that car. Um, and I had outgrown it. Uh, you know, I, I was married and, and now had a, a, a baby and it was a two seater. So it was, you know, it, it was of no use to me. You know, to, it was not a baby hauler at that point. Right. But the T tops were cool and the car talked. It was one of the early cars where it said key is in the ignition or <laughs> radio is on or, you know, it, it told you things. And the, the idiot lights were semi replaced by idiot speak, but it was so cool. It was a five speed. I had the gray oyster gray velour interior 
and I replaced the whole stereo. I did it myself, and everything worked, by the way. <laughs> nice. I just loved that car, and you know, I look back 25, 24 years later. If I could have any one of my cars back again, I'd probably have the most romantic imagery of that car more than any of the others. Yeah, yeah, those are great cars. And I love those talking cars, too. I remember the one I had that said, your door is ajar. And I'd always talk back saying, no, it's not. It's a door. And <laughs> it always drove me crazy. Well, I would love to hear about what's going on right now. I'd love for you to explain a little more in depth to the listeners what Go is all about. Sure. And go, the word go, with the exception of one other word, and I'll leave that to your listeners to think about what other word it is, but with the exception of one other word in the English language, go is the shortest verb in the English language, mm-hmm. two letters. Mm-hmm. There's only one other word like that. And go is go. It's everything that we do in our lives, and I, I said it earlier, is transportation-oriented, whether it's owning a car or a motorcycle or renting a car or a motorcycle or having to get on some kind of public transportation. We're always moving somewhere along the way. There are hundreds of millions of cars in the United States. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of cars and motorcycles around the rest of the world. And it is one of the defining elements for many, many people. It is as much as your house is a, is a reflection of you your vehicle is, in many respects, the same thing. It is a reflection of who you are as a person. Whether it's highfalutin and fancy and it's a bright red Ferrari or it's a 15-year-old Dodge Caravan with, uh, with you know, French fries and Cheerios wedged between the seats, it truly is a reflection of your life. And with the exception of home ownership, it is the single largest expenditure that anybody in the United States, let alone the world, spends on an annual basis. And so with that in mind... I started to think about where, what we could do, what could be done in the auto industry that would be good for the consumer and yet would be really good for the auto industry itself. Because the auto industry is in many respects a dinosaur. And excuse me for, to some of your listeners who might argue otherwise, but it truly is a dinosaur. The idea that, that people with mismatched ties and jackets are sitting in a showroom somewhere waiting for you to walk in and that they're, and that they are, you know, fighting to talk to you so that they can try to sell you a car and not only sell you a car, but then upsell you on other things related is that's, that's, that's a relic. That's something from the past or that you would have to get in your car or your husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend have to get in their car and drive a half an hour to a place to get their stereo changed or their oil changed or, um, or have to go find the, a place where you could get your windows tinted or some of the other services that you'd like to have done to your car. And typically you end up in a funky industrial park somewhere where you're either you're fearing for your life or fearing for your safety and or you're fearing for your wallet because you don't necessarily trust the people with whom you may be dealing. Mm-hmm. And so the, the premise of Go is really to educate entertain and engage the consuming public in the 21st century on what the possibilities are of their transportation needs. And when I say that, it's not only, hey, I have a five-year-old truck, I might want to replace it with a newer truck, but I can't afford it, therefore I don't have to be here. No. What are the possibilities for your five-year-old truck? New tires, new wheels, new windshield wipers, new stereo. How about a new interior? How about tinting the windows? How about an upgrade to the engine to crank out more horsepower? That's at one end of the spectrum. What about the 22-year-old who just graduated college and her dad and mom gave her a 10-year-old Honda Accord because that's what they were going to get rid of and they gave uh, him or her that car? Mm -hmm. What are the possibilities for that car? What can you do with that car? 
or trap, you know, run ahead and the trappings of what a new car means to somebody. How much will it cost? What do I need? Why do I need that? And instead of having somebody harping in your ear going dealer to dealer, street by street, intersection or interchange by interchange to go to all these different places to learn about cars and trucks and the, and the aftermarket offerings, what if we could put a big exploratorium in the most comfortable place outside of your home that you typically know, the regional mall. Mm -hmm. What if we could put a, take an anchor space in a regional mall, in other words, an old Macy's or an old Penny or Sears space. What if we could take that space and turn it into a permanent trade show kind of a space where everybody from Ford to BMW, from Brembo Brake to Ray Bestos, from um, Anko Wiper to, you know, Bridgestone Tire, could be in that space displaying their wares. What is it that makes our product good? What does it make their product faster, smarter, safer, cheaper, more expensive, but lasts longer, whatever it is. What if we could create an intersection where the consuming public could touch, feel, learn, listen, and understand everything automotive and not be a, not have to be in a place where they feel like they're being sold something because that's not what Go is about. Go is about educating, entertaining, and engaging. We're not there to sell you a thing. You can't buy a car in Go. You can't even buy windshield wipers at Go. But you can go and all of these manufacturers, whether it's an OEM, original equipment manufacturer, or an aftermarket company, again, could be Brembo, could be Anko Wiper or Bridgestone, mm-hmm where they can go and display their wares, their goods and their services and tell people what they might want to do the next time they need new X, Y's or Z's or the next time they're thinking about something, did they know? And so give the auto industry an opportunity to speak directly to the consumer in a non-confrontational sales approach and let the consumer be there and not feel like he or she is being browbeaten or guilted into having to do something that they may or may not be ready to do today. Go is all about creating a physical space first where a person can go and kick tires, touch, learn, see, and do in the most safe place typically other than your own home or neighborhood for most people. Because think about it, other than your home, where would you take your kids and where are you willing to sit on a bench or sit in the restaurant when your kid says, dad or mom, I'm going to run down the hall and buy earrings or I'm going to go down to Macy's, I'll meet you there. Or can I go wait in the line for the movie while you guys pay the bill? Where else would you let that happen today? Not very many places. So if the regional mall is really the place that you spend a lot of your time and your energy being entertained, the movie theater, the restaurants, or buying the grocery store, the, the, uh, the department store, whatever it may be there, or you're just being engaged because you're walking, you're learning, you're doing, it's a cold day, a hot day, a rainy day. It's a place to be entertained for free and to be engaged in something. The old, the old sit in the, uh, sharper image or Bridgestone store and let the vibrating chair do one thing while your kid is playing with the drone car on the other side. It's that kind of mentality that brings people to the regional mall. So if we're, if they're already predisposed to the regional mall, then why not give them a safe place? And I don't mean just safe from a, from a security standpoint, but from a comfort uh, standpoint where they could learn, touch and feel the auto space. So that was the physical piece. Mm-hmm. And, and you described earlier, we're calling our, uh, a lot of what goes on side in our go space. It's digital. It's not physical and it's not digital. It's both. It's digital. You can come in to go and you should be able to touch it, feel it, learn about it, 
and then by giving us a little bit of information or giving the manufacturer or the or the uh, the uh, the company some information, being able to take all of that home with you digitally, or sitting in the comfort of your own living room, or sitting in your family room talking about cars or or things related, and being able to digitally pull up all the information uh, about car X, Y, or Z, or tires or wheels or whatever it may be. And so the entire engagement of Go is physical to be sure. That's why there's a physical space, but it's digital too. Mm-hmm. And what we've, what we've learned and what the research has shown us and supports our premise is that the auto industry has fallen down on keeping up with the Joneses, if you will, in the digital space. It's not as easy for a millennial to find out everything they want to know about a car, new or used, in the digital space. They're still trapped in having to deal with the physical space. And that's a problem for them. And for the working mom, who doesn't have the time to go, go dealer to dealer, car to car, uh, car dealer to car dealer, showroom to showroom, or doesn't want to go to Auto Express or O'Reilly's, this is a great opportunity for them to not only be in the regional mall where they are anyway during some of their free time, but to be, whether it's at work, and I don't want to get them in trouble, but if they're at work or if they're at home, to be able to climb through a lot of the digital and understand what it is that they're either being told they should be buying or thinking about buying or the goods and services that they're thinking about and be able to work it into their budgets. And it transcends men, women, children, old, young, highly educated, less educated. It transcends every stereotypical grouping, if you will, because as noted earlier, transportation is the number two expense outside of uh, shelter um, that we as Americans uh, have to budget into our annual budgets. And so Go is really meant to be there to either support them in understanding what something means or understanding what their options are if they're looking to buy something new. Very cool. And that is Go. And of course, one of those other two-letter verbs is do. So Go and do. I think it works really well together. Wow. That is a handful of information, but I think you did a great job there to explain what it is you're coming up with. So very, very cool. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Peter. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Now, this one catches me off guard because if I could think through it, I might call you back in an hour and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just kidding. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean that car. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be brutally honest. I think I would be, as the, as the guy that I really am, I would probably be an old, I would be an old Volkswagen Golf or, or, you know, before the, uh, I guess before they called it, uh, uh, you know, the Golf, but let's, let's call it, I'd be a Volkswagen Golf with the, um, with the oversized engine that was truly a wolf in sheep's clothing. And so why is that? Why would that be me? Because I'm relatively unassuming. Uh, I'm not going to tell you I'm not uh, that I'm quiet because that would be a lie. But I'm relatively unassuming. Um, I'm not imposing. I'm not the fastest, biggest, strongest, loudest guy in the world. But I'm always there and I'm always in the race. And that Wolfsburg edition Golf was an unassuming car sitting on the road at 70 or 80 miles an hour, whether you're on an interstate out west where you could do that or uh, or you're on the Autobahn in, in Germany or Austria. And, you know, somebody goes flying by you in their A8 or their 7 Series BMW, and I could put my foot down on that Wolfsburg edition and go. <laughs> Absolutely. Great answer. I like it. Well, Peter, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsor. 
If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Peter, we're back and we're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Don't worry about budgeting how much the monthly payment is going to be on your car. It's look at what it's going to cost to maintain that car over time. Upkeep, upkeep, upkeep separates the men from the boys or the girls from the women. Uh, (laughs) Budgeting a payment is easy, but budgeting new brakes on a fancy car is not the same as a 15-year-old Ford. Uh, No, not at all. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? A whiteboard. My most important professional personal habit is that I am incredibly organized and I learned how to outline when I was in sixth or seventh grade. And there's a whiteboard in my garage. There's a whiteboard in my office. Awesome. Now, how about a resource? Is there a resource that you really like that you think the Cars Out listeners would enjoy as well? A resource? Yeah. You know, SEMA has become a great resource for me um, in the auto in the auto world. Uh, becoming a member of SEMA now, of course, I'm you know that's the the um, the specialty marketing group of the of the auto industry. Yeah. But SEMA's been a great resource, and I think that even as a consumer, being able to see who's out there and and what the goods and services and products they offer that's a that's a great place. It's a library of information. Oh, absolutely. I've been I've been going to SEMA for 25 years in a row. And I just had uh, Wade Kawasaki on. He's the president and chief operating officer of the Coker Group, of course, well known for the uh, remaking vintage tires, Coker Tires. But uh, he's the chair elect for SEMA. Um, he's going to be uh, uh, become their chairman actually next year. So uh, yeah, SEMA is tremendous. The website, all the, the things that they can offer you. Absolutely spectacular. Now, how about a book, Peter? Is there a book that you've read recently that you'd like to share with the Cars Out listeners? I'm a big reader. Um, I'm actually almost finished with a Frank Sinatra biography. Ah. I like biographies. And uh, I think one of the reasons that I like these books like this, like a Frank Sinatra biography, is Frank Sinatra was a talented person. But his, his talent ended at the microphone. His interpersonal skills or his interpersonal relationships with others was not particularly good. And so I've learned a lot of lessons about, you know, be careful how you treat people on the way up the ladder because sometimes the ladder comes down the other side. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I've not read that. I'll have to get my hands on that. Sounds very interesting. Well, listeners, you'll find links to everything Peter shared with us today on his very own show notes page at carsyeah.com slash Peter Frampson. That's F-R-A-M-S-O-N, not the guitarist Frampton. Of course, we were talking about uh, at our pre-show chat that everybody calls you, I'm sure, but uh, brings back some of my uh, high school memories. And there's also a great place on the Cars yeah website called Guest Recommended Books, where Peter's book and all the past 572 guest books are listed for quick, easy links to buy. All right, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy. 
If you could have only one collector car in your garage, I know you mentioned you had a lot of vehicles, but I'm going to limit it to one vehicle. But money's no object. I'll buy you whatever car you'd like. What would that vehicle be? And more importantly, why? Wow. It's probably going to be a 55 T-Bird. T-Bird. Oh, okay. A 55 T-Bird. And if money is no object, definitely a 55 T-Bird because that can suck the life out of you. So <laughs> I, I, I'd like to have one ground up. And why? Why? Because I, I think that the cars of the 50s showed us the possibilities of what might be. Uh, a 55, if, if you've ever driven or you're familiar with the car, it's underpowered. It's, it's, it's really, it's an unassuming car. It, it, it didn't want to be a Corvette. It wanted to be more of a, a comfort drive car, if you will. Mm-hmm. But it was underpowered, but it showed a mid-50s society the possibilities of what, what might be. The colors they used, the patterns they used on the interiors, the the notion that the top was down and this free spirit. And it, it really, it truly is the embodiment of the American spirit. And so if I had to circle that one car that, that I want to be portrayed with, I think that's probably the car. And what color would you like? Teal. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Very much those monochromatic colors of the 50s. Wonderful colors. Fantastic. Peter, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. I've learned so much about what's happening with Go and where it's going and what it will be doing. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off in the sunset in that 55 Ford T-Bird? Uh, I'm going to go back to my original, you asked me the questions about the mantras and what to live by. You only live once. You only live once. So you better have some fun while you're doing it. And that's what Cars Yeah is all about. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and Go? You can go to GoAutoExperience.com and be able to start to see what Go is all about. Um, We are uh, on the precipice of making a lot of noise. You'll see us at SEMA later this year and at CES in January. And so you've kind of gotten a look behind the curtain of the new model year, if you will, with where Go is going. Very cool. Well, I'm very appreciative that you joined me today. And listeners, again, you can find links to everything Peter's been so kind to share at CarsYad.com slash Peter Frampson. Just type Peter in the search bar. Actually, type his last name, too, because the most common name for my guests here on Cars yeah has been Peter. So if you type Peter in, you're going to see a lot of Peter. But Frampson, F-R-A-M-S-O-N, and you'll find that. Or you can type Go in there, and that page will pop up with the search bar. Peter, thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with our listeners and for sharing what's happening with Go. We'll see you at SEMA. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. It's been my pleasure, and thank you for having me, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.